0: You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. Love you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Guys, I'm a little bit undone. Emotionally compromised, you might say. Um, It's partially my daughter's fault. Um... My kids have been writing me love letters, <laughs> and uh, they've been doing this for a while, but uh, they'll just color something real sweet on a sheet of paper, and, and oftentimes will come into our bedroom, and it'll be sitting on our bed, and it just says, you know, this is a picture of her heart, you know, wrapped up in colors and rainbows, and it says dad on it, and... uh This is worship, like this is a psalm to my heart. Like my children are teaching me about worship. I actually have a a folder filled with these because I want to remember them. There's got to be like thirty of them, and um, maybe more than that. And you know we have several kids, (laughs) varying ages, um, eight, seven, six, and four. So each one of them, they have different levels of capability and different artistic um, giftings. And, but I don't, I don't look at the love letters from my different kids and judge one as better than the other. And when we come in here, what we're doing is we're bringing who we are to the Lord, regardless of of where we are, how good we are at it. He is actually, I mean, he has the biggest fridge imaginable in heaven that has so many magnetized of these things on there. And it's every one of your praise songs to him that he wants to remember, regardless of what stage you are in your development in life or how gifted you are at singing. CJ and, and, and Ariel and the rest of the band are up here and they're amazing, but God doesn't desire their worship or value it any more than he does yours. And when Jesus was walking on his donkey into Jerusalem and the the whole city comes out singing Hosanna in the highest, they're throwing down their cloaks and they're, they're waving their palm branches and shouting at the top of their lungs and Jesus remembers every one of their names. He's got every one of those moments hung up on his fridge or in a folder next to his bed. He remembers the times that we've praised him. And you know, when I come home, I feel completely at home. Guys, I'm sorry, I'm real messed up. This is what the Father's face looks like when you worship him. He's like making a book of remembrance. All right, Lord, we're going to have to get through this. Uh, when I come home, I feel like it's my home. Like I can be completely at rest. I don't need anyone to assure me of my kids' love for me. And that's what it's like when the father comes here to Frisco. Frisco. This is where he rests. He comes in and he knows that like every heart in here is his. You guys feel that? We're, we're not creating a place of visitation or outpouring. We're, this is his home. It's his habitation. We're not trying to construct a monument or craft another movement. We're Creating a place where the father's heart can rest completely and know that he is 100% loved. That no matter what is going on in the affairs of the world, he can come in here and set down his briefcase, kick up his feet, and feel like he is surrounded by the love of his kids. <clears throat> Let's save this. If y'all start looking at me funny, I'm gonna pull it out and look at it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ah, um, oh, Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for those incredible moments in worship. Man, I know that we, we, we talk about this a lot, but we e- exist to bring joy to the heart of God through worship and prayer. We just minister to his heart through prayer and worship. And um, and it's like this place that this unavoidable natural byproduct is that we all get changed in that place. And it only... It, Sometimes like he he like beats us to the punch. You know how we're supposed to enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise, and so we come thanking him and praising him. There have been times when I've walked in here before I can say a single word, he has already walloped my heart. He has poured out his adoration on me before I can say a thing. And and I just feel like <clears throat> I don't know what I feel. <laughs> You know when we were singing you are worthy of it all. <clears throat> it was so fun for all of us to come into agreement and and just praise the renown of the king. And it was it was a triumphant sound coming from all of us a sound of affection adoration a, a, a sound of of praise just Again, we are verbally putting him in his place as king, not just over our hearts, but over our church, over our city, over everything. We're putting him in his place of king. We're singing, you're worthy of it all, you're worthy of it all. And about, I don't know, 30 times into me singing, you're worthy of it all, I start to hear him singing, you are worthy of my blood, you are worthy of my blood. because that's how worth is determined, right? Worth is determined by the price that someone would pay for that object. And in this case, the object was the hearts of humanity. It was every single one of your sweet little hearts and mine. And he's saying, he's proclaiming over all of creation and the cosmos, those kids are worthy of everything I got so about 2,000 years ago a pretty incredible worship service was happening while Jesus was walking into I should say riding into Jerusalem on a super honored donkey <sighs> the most honored donkey in all of history. (laughs) And they were shouting, just like Cheryl was singing, shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And the highest, and they're waving their palm branches. And that's why it has become, this has traditionally become known as Palm Sunday. It would take less than a week. For that same city who is singing his praises to be shout and crucify him, and uh, I want to talk tonight about a about a one of david 's love letters to Jesus that plays a huge role in this story. so if you guys have your bibles, open up to psalm twenty two because we 're going to camp out here most of the night we 're going to read through psalm twenty two and i 'm going to take a couple bunny trails off of uh, Moments in this psalm. You guys doing okay? <sighs> I don't know how I'm doing, man. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Um, but I love you guys, and I'm glad that we're having a, a great little family gathering. This is a this is a really important week. It's it's resur- Resurrection Week, you know. Two thousand years ago, like this was the day that started the sequence of events of Jesus' final final week before the greatest moment in human history. <sighs> cool. So verse one of Psalm twenty-two, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words? of my groaning. Where does that first part, we're going to just stay on verse one. Where does that first part of the verse show up in the New Testament? Does anybody know? Shout it out. Yeah, Jesus said it on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabactini, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, We're going to come back to that, but I want to move on to verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. This is cool, because it actually shows, you know, just a few days ago when Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, he is literally walking on the cloaks of praise. Like the people we're essentially saying you're not worthy to have your donkey's hooves touch the dirt, and so I'm gonna lay down my cloak so that you're even further separated from what we consider to be common and base. This is how high, highly he was praised in that moment. That they wouldn't let his donkey's hooves touch the dirt. He's enthroned, he's walking on the praises of, of Israel. Verse 4. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All those who see me mock me, they make mouths at me and they wag their heads. This is actually um, a prophetic verse, this whole Psalm is a prophetic, but um, in Matthew 27, it actually says that people who walked by jeered at him and wagged their heads. Like, you know? He was a a rejected and despised man by much of the (laughs) establishment man, but he was loved by certain people, that's for sure they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. Verse eight, he trusts in the Lord. This is in quotations. They're saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. This is actually, again, a prophetic verse being fulfilled while Jesus is on that cross that if you remember, they're saying things to him like, you've saved other people, now save yourself. Ha, you know, look at you. Trust your life into the hands of the Lord. Look how that's going for you. Verse 9, this is where it starts to turn. Yet you are he who took me from the womb, and you made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me, and they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. This is a perfect picture of Jesus surrounded by his enemies on the cross. The strong, the strong bulls of that day, the the um, authorities and the system of. The religious systems and the governmental systems of that day were surrounding him, laughing at him, mocking him. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. This is actually a uh, a physical effect of being on the cross. Um, it, it Modern doctors who are believing, believing doctors have kind of looked at what would happen to a body hanging by um, nails in the hand or, or wrist. And, um, and it, the, the effect of it is that they're, all the, the bones are pulled out of joint. So this is again another um, prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. It says, my heart is like wax. It is melted within my chest. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. Jesus on the cross. Remember, he says, "I thirst." Can't imagine how uncomfortable, how dehydrated, how alone. He says, "You lay me in the dust of death." For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is crazy, right guys? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, this guy named David is singing a song and he's getting downloads from the Holy Spirit that he's like a conduit. The Holy Spirit is, is singing a song of the future through him. This is the prophetic. He's a prophetic psalmist, poet, singing. And there's some scribe writing it down as fast as he can. You know what I mean? Like, sing, go, go back, David. Sing that part again. i got to write that down. i got to get everything the way that you just sang it. <clears throat> I mean, why in the world would David sing, They've pierced my hands and feet? Never happened to him, right? Crazy. Verse 17. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Guys, you can't can't make this stuff up. This is another prophetic fulfillment. Jesus wouldn't have any of his bones broken, right? Right? And they cast lot for his clothes. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. He's talking about heaven. He's going to be in the greatest congregation there is. He's going to be in the Holy of Holies, where all of the the ranks of angels and and heavenly beings are there singing to to the the Holy One, the Father, and Jesus is going to show up and enter into the chorus of praise to the Father, saying, I'm going to praise you in the midst of that congregation. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him. He is not hidden his face from him. So did God, the Father, hide his face from Jesus on the cross? Was that like the moment that the Trinity fell apart, imploded on itself, and the Father had to abandon his son? Was it then? Was it then? Was there ever a moment that Jesus and the Father weren't intimately, irrevocably united? John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John 14.11 says, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. John 16, 32. This is a good one. He, this is Jesus saying to all the disciples about what Jesus is about to go through. And he says, You will all leave me. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Come on. This is good news that even in Jesus' darkest moment, when he is becoming a curse for us, the Father is in that moment, co-partnered, co-missioned, connected to Jesus in the reconciliation and redemption of mankind. John 8, 28, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the father has taught me the one who sent me is with me he has not left me alone you guys ever heard the idea that in Jesus' darkest moment on that cross the father had to turn his back on him you ever heard that where did that come from And how far do we have to go before the Father hides his face from us? <coughs> how dark does our life have to get for him to turn his back? I know that some of you, uh, some of you guys might be asking, but I, I've heard, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, I've heard that God is too holy to look on evil. Um... That's a good question. It actually comes from Habakkuk 1.13, where it says, Habakkuk actually says, um, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate it. So that right there would basically tear apart the whole um, point that I'm trying to make, except that Habakkuk didn't end the sentence. (laughs) He says, you're, you're too holy to look on evil. You're too uh, pure to tolerate, or you cannot tolerate it. Why then do you? <laughs> <clears throat> you have Habakkuk looking at the condition around him, the condition of evildoer- evildoers prospering, and he's lodging a complaint. You see this all through the prophets and, and, and the Psalms. The, us in our humanity, in our darkened thinking, we can't perceive everything that's going on. And the prophets are no different. They're in this moment and they're asking, they're lodging a complaint. Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I thought you were this. Why is this going on? I thought, I thought you couldn't even handle or tolerate that kind of wickedness. Why are you letting it happen Why are you putting your eyes on it? So this is not Habakkuk launching a doctrinal dissertation. It's a complaint coming from his misunderstanding of the nature of God, or at least the nature of the situation. If God can't look on sin, then why could Satan come into his presence in Job 1? If, if God can't look on sin, I mean, wh- why didn't Jesus have his friends sacrifice a goat before he entered the party with a whole bunch of sinners? Guys, God is not like a pristine white couch that no one can sit on for fear of getting it soiled. God is can't be tainted by sin any more than the ocean could be dyed red by a single drop of food coloring. See, we came up with this idea that the Father abandoned the Son on the cross and is completely mixed up. I've even heard it taught that with that moment when darkness covered the earth, that was the moment when the Father completely withdrew Except that the exact opposite was true. It was the moment that the Father manifested himself the most. Because if you look in... Whoo, sorry. Psalm 18, it says... Psalm eighteen nine says, He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. Psalm 97, 2 says, Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Deuteronomy 5 22, these words, the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. There are a lot of other verses that talk about how Jesus is surrounded by this darkness. I mean, he hovered over the abyss. He creates out of nothing. Like, he... He's very accustomed to mystery and darkness. Like we could spend years just like trancing out on the idea of God being shrouded in darkness. It's just part of his nature. And so when the earth turned dark, you could actually see the Father showing up the most. And the earthquake, right? And the curtain being torn in two and tombs being opened and saints of old popping up from the grave. Talk about the Father showing up. This idea of the Father deserting the Son on the cross is more pervasive and just accepted as common thought than we might realize. It's even in a bunch of the songs that we sing. And I don't want to Distort your your view of any song or any ministry, but like one final breath he gave as heaven looked away. Did heaven look away? Now, I mean, I I could see like angels like putting their wings up, like oh my goodness. (laughs) Like, no, I can't believe it's come to this. But God, the Father, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them the father didn't just look on sins, he overlooked sins. (laughs) He knew exactly what we were guilty of and he said, nah, I'm bigger than that. My love is bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Let's get back to Psalm 22. That was one bunny trail. You guys got your seatbelts on still? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I know, what, like, a lo- how do I say this? A lot of these ideas might be deeply ingrained in some of us without of us even knowing. So if I'm, like, poking the bear inside, it's, it's honestly coming from a pure Father's heart. I, 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 only, I only poke at things like that because there is so much treasure in uprooting it. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. There it is again. The great congregation. My vows I will will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Ho! Everyone who thirsts, right? Come to the waters. You who are hungry but have no money, come buy bread. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. This psalm started out pretty rough, didn't it? (laughs) Look at where we're heading. (laughs) Verse 28, For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship him. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Glory to you, Jesus. That He has done it. Do you guys know that that word he has... He, has done it, is the exact same word as it is finished. Hey guys, finish, finish this phrase for me. Sing with me. It may look like I'm surrounded, but... You guys getting where I'm going? Yes. You know how popular songs get stuck in our head? You can sing the beginning of one and, and automatically know the end, right? What were the popular songs of Jesus' day? The Psalms of David. Any good Jew in that moment, any Israelite knew in that moment when Jesus is hanging there and he's singing... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From the beginning of the psalm, he's telegraphing the end to everyone. He's saying to everyone, it looks like I've been deserted. It looks like I am surrounded. But all of this is going to end in praise. It may look like I'm surrounded by these strong bulls and these devouring dogs and these ravening lions, but I am wrapped up in the heart of the Father, and He has not hidden His face from me. And this is all going to result in generations after generations praising the goodness of God. Whew. You're singing, it may look like I'm abandoned, but it couldn't be further from the truth. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You know that Psalm 22 laid the groundwork for us to. Walk into Psalm 23. Hang with me, y'all. In the laying down, in the giving up, in the submitting, in in that moment when Jesus is saying, "Into your hands I commit my spirit," and it looks like defeat. He is entrusting his life, his calling, his dreams into the hands of his father, and he is literally going to the grave, and it looks like death. And everyone in that moment is saying, I mean, I, t- I told you he committed his life into the hands of the Lord, and look at that. But we all know that that wasn't the end of the story, because we don't worship a God of death. We worship a God of resurrection. And it's because of Psalm 22 that we can rightly walk into Psalm 23. Can you put up Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And picture Jesus in this moment singing, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, Father, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5 You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If anyone had the right, to defend himself and take up his cause for his calling. It is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If anyone could be more justified in this moment of launching an attack or a counteroffense against all the hordes of darkness in this moment, it is Jesus But instead, he completely entrusts his life to his father because he knows without a doubt that the father's heart for him is pure in his his intentions, that he plans to prosper him, give Jesus a hope and a future. Jesus knows the scriptures. Instead, he goes like a lamb to slaughter, he didn't open up his mouth. Said, I don't need to defend myself. There is one greater than any judge, higher court than any court, and he is on my side. You just wait and see. And check this out. You got Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet he has not hidden his face from him. And this is going to result in the praises for generations. In Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley, I will not fear evil because you are with me. And Psalm 24, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and dwell in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and hasn't lifted his heart to any idol. Or anything that's false. And then it says, fling wide, O you gates, because here comes the King of glory. Oh, yeah. The Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts. I want to say that none of us are going to live well until we learn how to die well like Jesus. This is the backwards brilliance of heaven, that he who loses his life from me will gain it. When we try to create our own way, he stands in the way because he is the way. <laughs> when we try to create our own way, he stands in the way because he is the way. A seed has to fall. See, we can't have resurrection power on something that hasn't died yet, can we? Guys, this is, this is all over scripture. That cast your bread upon the waters and after many days it will return to you. So let's say you have bread. Let's say you have this sustaining dream of your heart. Let's call that the bread. You have a sustaining dream of your heart. Maybe it's even your calling, your future. Guys, we're so calling-centric, we have to like, We have to detox from being so calling centric. Like, (laughs) let's say we have this bread. It represents something that is so important. It is our sustaining thing. And the the scriptures actually say, why don't you just let it go? After many days, it will return to you. Guys, I'm not saying something I haven't done. (laughs) I need to get better at it, but... um, I've come to realize that if my bread hasn't been cast on the waters and returned to me, can I really know that it was ever mine? If I haven't relinquished control of my dream and let it die and watch God bring it back, how do I really know that it was my dream or his dream for me? But if I do, and he brings that, Thing back into existence he breathes his resurrection breath onto it and that thing that I laid down years ago somehow pops back into life and has come through these random circumstances that I couldn't bring about in my own power then I know for certain that that dream of my heart that I let die God has resurrected and it's time